you would please open your Bibles to the book of Daniel. We are still in chapter 9, beginning at verse 20. You'll recall that Daniel was in fervent prayer and confessing his sins and the sins of his people and asking God to have mercy on them and to do what God had promised to do. The reason that we pray that way is not because we're afraid God might change his mind, but because the purpose of prayer is not to control God, it is to get us in line with him. So Daniel has been praying based on what he had read in Jeremiah's prophecy was already going to happen. God had said, this is what's going to happen. Daniel believed God's word and then prayed for that to happen. Well, why would you, why would you do that? That doesn't seem like much of a prayer. Okay, let me see if I can think. Years and years ago, um, there were some fellows who asked their teacher to, uh, to teach them how to pray because they saw that, that he prayed and amazing things happened. And so they said, would you teach us how to pray? And he said, yes, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven, may your name be hallowed, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. Got that? And on the most difficult night of that teacher's life, and he was far more than a teacher, but on a night when he knew he was about to be arrested and not only executed in the most painful way possible, but he was going to bear the wrath of God for us. And in that situation, he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So when we fervently pray, and our prayer is for God to do what he has willed, we are following in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way we're supposed to pray. I'm going to say it again. The goal of our prayer is not to get God to do what we want. It's to talk with God and be honest about what we want, but have our hearts and minds trained so that more than we want anything else, we want God's will to be done. I was talking with someone just the other day about an individual that you don't know personally, um, but a famous individual, a famous American, who has been rather famously an unbeliever. Um, when he was a child growing up in an abusive family, um, his sister became very ill. 
and his sister was one of the few bright spots in his life. And he prayed. He wasn't a Christian, but like a lot of people, when we're in a tough situation, we, we pray. And he prayed that God would heal his sister. And instead, she died. And so he decided, okay, I don't even know if there is a God, but if there is a God, I hate him. I don't want to have anything to do with him. As if that punishes God. It's a very sad story. Very sad life that that man has lived despite great wealth financially. But the fact of the matter is, he had a view of God that says, if God doesn't do what I want, then I don't believe in him. Well, it's not that God never does what we want. It's that if God always has to do what we want, then we're God. And that's exactly what most religion is about. People wanting a God that they can control. People wanting a God that will do what they want. Daniel is an example of a guy who was sometimes so overwhelmed by what he saw that God was going to do that he felt physically sick. Okay? Because God graciously told him about things that were going to happen that were going to be really hard. But God didn't do that to scare him. God didn't do that to punish him. God did that to strengthen him and give him courage to go through what he was going to have to go through. And to accept what other people who would live long after him were going to have to go through. So, we are in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 20. This is God's word. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens 
and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. All right, first of all, so that I don't forget, there in that last verse, it says, on a wing of the temple, in this translation, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is, decre- that is decreed is poured out on him. Can also be translated poured out on it. And when it says of the temple, those words are supplied, meaning they're not in the original language, but they put that in in the English translation in order to suggest what they think probably it's referring to. Well, I mean, is that what it's referring to? Perhaps. Let me tell you something about this vision, the 77s. These people, well, first of all, these people don't care what it says because they don't believe this stuff anyway. All right? Nonsense. If you don't believe God's word, you got problems. All right? Now, these people believe that God's word is true. They are absolutely convinced God's word is true. And let me tell you what it means. It means this. The 77s, I can explain all that. It's this, this, then this, then this, etc. Got it? Okay, man, that's, that's what I was taught when I was a kid. I, I, I could draw it out. I could make you a a poster that explained the whole thing because it was explained to me and and it made sense. It was cohesive, fit with scripture. I I could see it clearly. Then I ran into these people. Oh, were they people who didn't believe the Bible? No, no. They were people who believed the Bible, who are convinced it is God's word. It's absolutely true, just like my group. But, But... they understood this passage differently. Well, they're just wrong. Let me explain it to you. You, you want to look at my chart? Okay. See, here's, here's what it means. And they were like, no, 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 that's not right. Look. And they went through and explained it the way they understood it. And it was like, what? I see what you're saying. Now, I, 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 don't, I don't think I agree with you, 
but you've, you've forced me to go back and question not whether Scripture's true, but whether or not the interpretation of the Scriptures that I was taught about this passage is really correct. And I'm not sure it is. I mean, I hope it is. I, I like this. I grew up with this. I really like that. Okay. But, but, but I can see... See, in our group, we are in agreement with this guy and this guy and this guy, and those guys are really great guys, solid, great guys. But you got this guy and this guy and this guy. And those those guys are, are really great too. And that's what they believe, huh? Okay. Well, so, I mean, I guess it could be like this. Or it could be like this. You know what I found out? There's this group and there's this group. They're not in this group or in this group. They're in this group and they're in this group. And they have other interpretations of what this means. <sighs> I like this. <sighs> I want to have everything sorted out, everything nailed down, everything on a, a poster board. I want to be able to explain the whole thing. When I was in seventh grade, I was not nearly as humble as I am now. Because <laughs> in seventh grade, I knew so much more. And I was, I was mature. You know, I was intelligent, I was mature, and I'd been educated by my parents. And so I said to my teacher, Mr. Samuel Alexander. Mr. Alexander, are you a premillennialist, a postmillennialist, or an amillennialist? I'm not sure if he knew what those words meant. And I was kind of hoping he didn't, so that he'd be really impressed with the fact that a 12-year-old in the seventh grade knew big words that he didn't know. His response shows that he could have had a career in politics. His response was, looking a little flustered, Jim Wood, my answer to that is, it's as personal as my toothbrush. I don't share it with anyone. I thought, genius, okay? I don't know if we agree theologically, but by golly, that man knows how to evade a question. Now let me ask you a question. What's a premillennialist? What's a post-millennialist? What's an amillennialist? That's not our subject this morning. Not because it's as personal as my toothbrush, but because there is a more important point. And that point is you look in the scriptures and you see over and over and over again, not only that we do not understand all the things that are to come, but that God does, and he's got it all planned out. 
And so, there's a guy named Noah. Okay? And God says, you need to build a great big boat according to these specifications. <laughs> Why would I do that? I don't live on the coast. You know, I mean, what's, what's this for? God says, because I'm going to send a flood on the world. Never been anything like that before. But God said, get ready. Here's how you do it. Noah spent basically a century building a giant boat because God said so. And if you haven't visited the ark exhibit up there on the Kentucky-Ohio line, it's worth the trip, okay? Because you get some sense of why it would take about a century for a guy and his sons to build a boat like that, okay? It's this huge thing. Uh, God, couldn't we just make like a little skiff or something? No, because you do not want to be in a skiff with an elephant, much less two of them. Because God's going to bring all these animals, all the different kinds, two by two, and some of them more than that. And they're going to need to have a place to stay for quite a while while you are going on the adventure of your life. And sure enough, just as God planned and just as God said, he not only sent a flood on the earth that brought destruction, but he saved Noah and his family and those animals that God caused to come and get on board. Okay, so you're saying that God, God, God knows when he's going to do something. Yes, it's exactly what I'm saying. You think about a little later when God says to Abraham, you're going to be the father of nations, father of many. There's a problem because Abraham's wife couldn't have kids. Physically, wasn't happening. But God didn't just give them a miracle baby. God waited until after she would have been able to have kids if she'd ever been able to have kids. You understand? God deliberately waited until the only explanation was that God gave them that child. God told Abraham about what was going to happen to the future generations of his descendants. God told Abraham about what was going to happen to a group of pagan people who lived in the land that Abraham's descendants would get to take over generations later. God said this would be judgment on those people, but the time was not yet because their wickedness had not reached the full extent it was going to get to. 
God saw the bad things they were going to do generations before it happened, and God chose to say, I'm going to wait until that has happened, and then at just the right time, I'm going to wipe them out. Pastor Red, I'm not sure I understand what this is about. Here's what this is about. Daniel is given a vision of the future that he didn't fully understand. And some of it we can understand. For one thing, I'll tell you this, if you look at the number of years, it takes us basically to the time of Christ. This was a prophecy of the Messiah. But it wasn't just a prophecy of the Messiah. It was also a prophecy of a number of other things that were going to happen. And there's going to be more of those visions that Daniel's going to get in the remainder of the book. And it has to do not only with the Christ, but it has to do with the Antichrist. Well, how do you know that? Can you get that? I've read the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. And if you start putting things together, you see that Things are happening just the way God said. And there were things that were fulfilled in short-term fulfillment, but still had a long-term fulfillment. Many of the prophecies concerning Messiah, that was the case. There was a long-term fulfillment that would follow generations after the short-term fulfillment. But this passage points to the Messiah, and it points to political events that are going to happen, including the destruction of Jerusalem. It points ultimately to what's going to happen at the end of the age, I believe. And I say that based on the book of Revelation and what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. There is coming a time when all the Gentiles will have been brought in and God is going to do something unprecedented with the people of Israel, just as he promised. And I'm not just standing in line with folks who began to understand some of this in a particular way in the 1800s, but actually with things that are written in Scripture and that the Puritans began to believe, some of them, that this was pointing to a restoration of physical Israel. Now let me tell you that in the 1800s, when people talked about the Jews coming back and living in Israel... People thought that was absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. No way it's going to happen. Not going to happen. Will not happen. No way. Can't happen. God has rejected them. We are the new Israel. And lo and behold, the Balfour Declaration and a number of other things occurred, and Israel got their land back after the Holocaust. 
Okay, yeah, but it's not, I mean, you know, unless they, unless they trust in Jesus, they're not going to heaven. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. When Paul writes in Romans that all Israel shall be saved, he makes it very clear not all the physical descendants of Abraham are really Israel. The Gentiles who've been grafted in, we're Israel. But he says, don't get arrogant about it. Because if you don't continue in the faith, then you're not really Israel. Those whom God saves, God saves. The saints will persevere. But, God promised that the people were going to get, the people of Israel, the physical descendants, were going to get the land back. And they did. And when I was a teen, early teen, there was this series of broadcasts from the UN, the United Nations. Some people believe there needs to be a one world government. God says there will be. Series of broadcasts from the United Nations where the nations that surrounded Israel were promising that they were going to go in and wipe them off the face of the earth. They're going to destroy Israel. And you know what? War started. Israel made preemptive strikes against those who were threatening their existence. How many years did that war last? Six days. Six days? How is that possible? It was miraculous. Well, I mean, there was a lot of military strategy and training and hardware and all. Yeah, there was. But it was miraculous. And at the end of that time, when Egypt and Jordan and Syria were, were just humiliated, they went back to the UN and they said, this was an unprovoked attack. Hey, you guys were saying you were going to kill them. And so you blame them for destroying your Air Force? We don't have a lot of sympathy for that. And it turned out, subsequently, there would be another pushback, and the Jews would get even more victory and success in Israel. And there were a whole lot of people who thought it could never happen who had to say, well, maybe I need to rethink things a little bit. I'll just tell you this. The longer I live, the more I'm convinced God knows everything and I don't have to. But every time things happen, I say, okay, that is exactly what God said. This passage can be interpreted a number of different ways, but I will tell you that I am convinced that it not only refers to the things that happened leading up to the time when Messiah first came, but 
It also contains glimpses of when Messiah will come again in the events leading up to that. There will be a one-world government. There will be a one-world economy. There will be intense persecution of anybody who dares to stand against that one-world system. What well, makes me nervous? Don't be nervous at all. Why? Because we're going to get caught up and out of here before it happens? I hope so. But I'm not counting on it. An old friend of mine who's now in heaven was fond of saying, hope for the best, prepare for the worst, and take whatever God sends. You might want to write that down. It's a good philosophy. Hope for the best. We should hope for the best. It's appropriate to hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. Why would I prepare for the worst if I'm hoping for the best? Because we don't always get what we were hoping for. Hope for the best. Prepare for the worst. And take whatever God sends. Don't forget who's in control. Don't forget that God says he's got this all mapped out. And it's going to happen exactly the way he said. The disciples did not recognize, even when Jesus told them explicitly and repeatedly that he was going to be crucified. They just didn't believe it. They just, you know, that can't be right. It was right. Because it was the only way we could be saved. And so sometimes the reason we don't just understand what God is saying is because it just doesn't seem right. Kind of blow our minds. Man, if that happens like that, you know, I, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, well, our understanding is not going to determine the outcome. God has already decreed the outcome. And I'll tell you something. Jesus said at the end of Matthew's gospel, guys, I believe I've got a real shot at world domination. You remember that verse? He met with them and he said, I think I have the potential of eventually getting all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay? And if you guys will work with me and, and turn the tide of public opinion, I believe we can pull this off. Does that not sound like the Great Commission? You know why it doesn't? Because that's, that's the opposite of the Great Commission. Jesus met with his followers and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. We're not out there telling people about Jesus because if we can get enough people on our side, he's going to win. He's already won. He's already conquered. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we celebrate when we come to worship him. He's not running for office. He's not worried about the FBI. 
He's not hoping that he can get people on his side because then he'll be popular and powerful. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead and he is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So when we look toward the future, we don't know exactly how it's all going to work out. But we know the one who does, and he's in control, and he's said, trust in me, and you're going to be fine. But what if we have to go through really hard times? He said, count on that. In this world, you will have tribulation, but don't be afraid. I've already overcome the world. I've already had to go through some things that are really hard. Well, in all likelihood, you're going to have to go through some things that are even harder, but in a different way. Don't be afraid. God is making you strong. He's not trying to destroy you. He wants to build you up. But if you're going to get built up, you're going to have to exercise your faith muscles by doing what God says. And as you obey him, which hurts sometimes, you will discover that you can do all things through Christ, which strengthens you. So, trust and obey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for even the mysteries of your word, the things that are not clear to us as we see in a mirror dimly, but are very clear to you. You have already decreed the future and you stand outside of time and control events in time. We thank you that you know exactly what you're doing and that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you, who are the called according to your purpose. And so we give you thanks and praise this day. Help us to trust you whatever comes and to practice now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.